0: you want to see the future of the aluminum industry?
1: If you don't have a mentor, you're going to take 10 times longer to figure something.
0: You have to listen to the customer, uh, what are their needs, what are their problems. Pay attention, look around, what is your voltage? We can say that we are one of the leaders of So, thank you so much for being here. Another episode of Dirty Scrap the Aluminum podcast. And here we are with Bob uh, Hamilton, president of Presimeter. Bob. How are you today? Thank you for being here with us.
1: Uh, well, Thank yeah, you for having me. I'm doing great.
0: So, Bob, let me ask you something, because I know you went from a marketing degree, and then you was like on the mortgage sellings, and then you went to the aluminum and magnesium, and then aluminum again. And finally, president of Presimeter, one of the biggest companies that provides uh, floor controls, aluminum level, and everything related to how we move the liquid metal between, I don't know, machines, furnaces, casting lines, and all this stuff. So I want to know and and, and let us know about your background, how do you end from the marketing degree and selling mortgage to the aluminum industry, because as I always said, everything comes uh, by an accident, right? You never choose, oh, I want to be the aluminum guy. So sure. how, how, how was it?
1: I, it? This is the story. So, you know, I, I was coming out of college in 2001. Um, if you could go back those days, you know, the housing market was booming, refinancing mortgages, things of that nature was kind of right. The only real aspect of the economy that was kicking, we all saw what happened there at the end in 2008 when everything fell right. apart. But um, I I just, I I did an internship in the marketing department at a uh, mortgage company in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I went to college. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I started working for them after I left. I ended up moving Cago and got in the wholesale side of things, knowing that that was not really something I wanted to be uh have a but you know career-wise wasn't going to be long-term. But my father actually um, worked for 30 years for Reynolds, which ended up getting bought by Alcoa, and so that he's had a very long history in the aluminum industry as well. Okay. I uh, mean, um, it, it. he started in St. Louis, it moved him to Houston, it moved him to Dallas, where I was born, and then eventually it moved us to Cincinnati, Ohio, where they still reside. Um, but that's, you know, kind of following my dad's footsteps into the aluminum industry was really kind of what I wanted to get started. And I found an unbelievable opportunity with Ormet, who is unfortunately no longer in business. But uh, I was covering an eight state territory for them uh, for their mill products division. And that's how I got into the industry and switching over to the magnesium industry or met, uh, we sold some rolling assets to, uh, Alaris, which is now Commonwealth. Um, and I had an opportunity to join them, but I also had the opportunity to go with magnesium electron and that's what I ended up doing. So I was in the magnesium industry from 2006 to 2018, um, at, and, at different at different different levels, but uh, I, I started there, and then I had the opportunity to come join uh, Pressometer. And the funny thing is, is when the opportunity for pre- Pressometer uh, presented itself, we had some rare earth alloys, uh, some uh, that we were trying to cast at Magnesium Electron in our facility in the UK, and we could not successfully do it until we implemented Pressometer's equipment.
0: No kidding. So I,
1: so I knew they made really good stuff. <laughs> so right. with the opportunity and with uh to come on board with Pressimeter, I hopped on it and it's been a little over 5 years so it's um I started with them in uh, 2018 and and things are going great and it you know it it's being in the metals industry for 20 plus years you know the foundry side of things wow. it's a little bit of a different animal but right. um you know it's it's um we offer a product and service that a lot of people in any type of aluminum casting or non-ferrous metal casting automation. There's, there's a lot of interest in it right now and we provide solutions for that and things have been going really, really well. So no complaints. I think I've made, luckily, <laughs> made some right decisions in my life. So <laughs> Great, great. And, and how how do you see the difference between
0: magnesium and the aluminum foundry that we, that we know today? Because it's a, a little bit different. And as you just said, I mean, casting aluminum uh, alloys and casting magnesium alloys is not the same so it's how do not, you can compare the technology for example
1: well it, our technology in those types of situations um you know it, how you cast aluminum how you cast magnesium uh in principle is somewhat similar but what right. we do Um, is, you know, we, it doesn't necessarily matter the metal, any non-ferrous metal for that matter, aluminum, zinc, magnesium, tin, you name it. Um, we're actually starting to get into some of these lithium, uh, lines as well with some of our products. Mm. So, um, you know, what our products do is it monitors the molten metal level through your casting process. We also manufacture actuators that will open and close based off the laser reading of our sensors. And what that allows you to do in any type of casting operation is really get a nice constant flow. We're talking plus or minus one millimeter throughout your casting operation. And when you get a constant flow, you'll see that your yields will go up, your quality will go up. And then it really takes that potential human error out right. of the equation. So, um, <clears throat> and it's a huge, huge benefit for workers. safety. you know, where someone was, you know, standing next to molten metal, uh, manually adjusting something, yeah. uh, that person doesn't need to be there anymore. Right, you yeah. can step that person off and, and anytime, and anytime in any type of molten metal, if you can get your workers further away from it, uh, tends to be a huge benefit in terms of safety
0: 100 100 agree yes and and before we start talking about the technology and all this uh more benefits because for me also you have or, or your uh let's say product has more benefits like we always like to talk about sustainability right and sustainability comes when you can drop down the carbon footprint but also when you can make your process more efficient because with efficiency comes less byproducts right and if you have less byproducts you don't need people to handle those byproducts you don't need landfills you don't need all these different stuff that are, are around the, the the process but before going in that direction now that you are mentioning that you are like moving in so different uh, many sectors on on the non-ferrous metals which are the sectors that you are seeing growing more, right? Aluminum is growing like crazy because everything that is happening, right?
1: Aluminum is Mm -hmm. by far the largest market that we're in. Um, If we're 98% non-ferrous metals, I would say that aluminum makes up 90% of that 98%. Wow. And then the others, it's just that much bigger of a market compared to the mag or the zinc uh, or the 10 market. We are also seeing some major increases in some uh, more exotic metals, such as lithium, um, mm-hmm. lithium loops, uh, things of that nature, manufacturing lithium, uh, refining lithium. Uh, and, and you mm. know, the EV craze and, and right. lithium ion batteries is, is driving all of them. So and then, you know, the light weighting side of the aluminum industry is obviously everybody wants to get their carbon footprint down. So you look at aluminum, um, you know, it's significantly lighter than steel. It doesn't have the same strength um, in certain situations, but it it can be swapped out. And then when you look at the magnesium, you know, a lot of people don't know that it's a little bit of a different animal, uh, but it is 33% lighter than aluminum and 75% lighter. And you'll see a lot more die castings, a lot of automotive die cast starting to go to more mag, a lot of, you know, you look at aluminum in the automotive industry the first, the first skinned, 100% outer body skinned production car ever built was the Acura NSX in 19. And that was an exotic, expensive car that they didn't make a lot of. You fast forward 25 plus years. They're now skinning the Ford F-150 pickup truck, the largest selling pickup truck in the world where they're making a million of them a year. That is now all skinned in the world. So it did not take very long to ramp that process up to um, switch from a a heavier metal and, and, and steel to a lighter and then you know with lightweight comes especially for evs you're going to be able to get longer more distance out of your charge on the um lighter cars going to get better gas mileage for your hybrid or your 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 gas powered um, <clears throat> vehicles. so you know that's really what's driving all thing right. is is the need for some lightweight um and the need for um you know for to make current products more sustainable and have a less carbon yeah. footprint And the nice thing about these metals is they're all 100 percent recyclable so when you, when it does come to the end of life you can recycle these things you can build it back into another product you can take that piece that came out of that car and melt it down and put it back into a new car you know it's yep. it's it's so it's it, it's a very sustainable way to kind of look at the future of lightweighting for anything from airplanes to cars to your cell phone. I mean yeah. everything, everything. Everything, everything. <laughs> Buildings.
0: Now we have green yeah, buildings that sure. want to build the buildings with uh green aluminum, very low carbon footprint aluminum. I mean it's crazy. But you do you think that the magnesium will reach the same levels as aluminum right now? Because I think it's it's a little bit complicated because also the recycling industry is very
1: focused on the aluminum right now, right? Right, yeah, and uh, to be honest with you, when I was with electron, we were going into uh we we were looking at that accuracy and nsX and there's there's limitations when it comes to magnesium, right um those being the fact that when you look at the anode cathode scale. Magnesium's on the bottom. So whenever you join magnesium to a dissimilar metal, it's going to sacrifice itself. So you need to go Mm. through there are a lot of coding and enabling technologies that have been worked out to allow magnesium to be able to be successful in certain situations that weren't there maybe 15, 20 years ago. But there's also a stigma with magnesium on the fact that it burns. All metals technically will burn. Titanium will burn. and you get them hot enough, all metal. But the problem right. with mag is you can't put it out with water because there's nope. a phenomenon there where uh, you spray water on a magnesium fire and it splits the oxygen and the hydrogen and it causes an explosion. So you have to smother mag fire. So when I was with Electron, we spent years um, trying to overturn a uh, a federal uh, aviation specification uh banning magnesium on the interior of commercial aircraft let's go after the seat manufacturers because if you've ever been in an airplane and you see those big, bulky seat, you know that are all machines right. of aluminum. Now, hey, we could save you a ton of weight if you do that out of mag. But we had to get over some some regulation. Now, why that regulation was there was put in in the fifties. Nobody really knows. But the FAA was under the impression that it was there due to flammability. So we had right. to go through multiple tests. And 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 you know, changing an aerospace spec is not. And it took us there. a decade, but we were successful. <laughs> So oh well, you did um, it at the end. Yeah, we, we we ended up doing it. The spec was AS eighty forty nine. Um there was a gentleman that worked for Magnesium Electron, his name was Bruce Gwynn. He has since retired. He really head up uh, the, the, the he was the face of magnesium electron to the FAA, worked diligently with them for well over a decade to get this process going and started. And it was cleared. Uh, that hurdle was cleared probably in around 2017. So um, there are some restrictions with it you can you've got to abide by a certain number of um you know obviously when you're dealing with specification they want it done a certain way but if you wanted Mm -hmm. to go make a magnesium seat you could and so uh you now and and you know there's questionability on market marketability and things like that but right i you know it's just mag and aluminum are very very similar and they're also very very different. So yeah. when it comes to the the nice thing about aluminum is you get a nice class A surface finish and its resistance against rust. Aluminum doesn't really no. Mag's a different story. When it comes to corrosion of magnesium, it's it's it 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 it's, it corrodes a lot easier than a lot of different metals out there. and especially when you put it in a galvanic coupling situation. Right. And there's something there. It, it's just it. You really have to engineer for magnesium, which takes time and it's not as easy. And if you put forth the time and the effort, you'll be successful. But there's just easier path. And right. there's another side of the mag industry is just the infrastructure. So magnesium electron, um, there were three rolling mills for magnesium in the world that i was uh there was magnesium electron in madison illinois there was um oh gosh what's that korean outfits name i uh, the huge they're a huge steel manufacturer too. posco there was posco that was a continuous cash sheet line they have since diversified they've sold that it's still operational i don't think posco owns it anymore and then there was a and krupp facility in europe that was making it too. So in order to be able to expand on that, you're also going to need to be able to expand on the manufacturing capability worldwide and for it to start competing with the aluminum. It's just not there. Um, you know, right. there's an abundance of magnesium in the world. You know, you can extract it out of seawater, in which there's plenty of seawater. You can dig <laughs> it out of the ground yeah. if you want to, you know? I mean, right. look at these, especially in the automotive area, you look at these CAFE standards that Say the federal government, of the United States, is now putting on these car manufacturers. You need to be at you know x amount of miles per gallon by twenty fifty or 2025, right. You know twenty thirty five, something like. You look at those numbers, and you're like, they're not going to get there without. They're going to need mag. In order to hit those numbers out there, it's it's just it's it's just the way it is. I mean, it you there's got to be some serious lightweighting in order to get to the fuel economy emission that you know that regulations that right. the federal government's going to put in place. You're going to have to you're going to need mag. So I would guess that moving forward, you know, you see a lot more magnesium diecasters, a lot more people mm-hmm. willing to diecast mm-hmm. magnesium. You're 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 seeing that expansion on the side of things um but when it comes to automotive sheet components whether that's inner body panels outer body panels things of that nature that's probably yeah. way off right but it's 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 i know for a fact that every mar- major automotive manufacturer in the in in the world is at least looking at it <laughs> and putting forth our well, ma- makes sense it. right makes sense. sure yeah no and that's kind of how it's going to have to be pulled through. There's a push in. There's a push from the mag sheet side. Trust me. Magnesium Electron's doing their best to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to push it, at least when I was there, they did. Right. Uh, but now you're starting to get more of a pull from the automotive manufacturers. So, you know, and and that type of thing is where you start seeing, you know, real, um, you know, real potential, real growth, real, um, you know, coming up with these enabling technology to allow you to put mag in something where 15 years ago you couldn't even. Right, do.
0: right, right. Yeah, that that makes sense. But do you think that even with all the the, the changes that we are doing into the aluminum alloys like we have uh, now tesla alloys that is not tesla Mm. alloys it's right we are having all these different directions on the alloys that is just changing a little bit the, the the elements that we have in the chemistry and is giving us different type of uh let's say mechanical properties and everything do you think even with those advances or or those researches we are also facing some magnesium getting into this industry as you just said because at the end what you want is to get into the wave that is leading the the, the market, right? That is aluminum. But yeah. magnesium also, I see them in the same way that you are seeing right now. But do you think even with those changes, we will see the magnesium gaining more and more, uh, let's say... Yeah,
1: field in the market. Sure, and potentially, and and you know, unfortunately, it's going to take um, you know the same amount of research and technology uh, and development uh, for magnesium alloys in order for them to do that too. Exactly. Um, and there's just probably, I mean, you know, there's probably a lot more PhDs working, and and who knows? I mean, it, yes, you would think that they would eventually get there, but I mean, if I was to sit there and put a a guess on it, I would say that the magnesium industry is probably lagging behind the the magnesium industry is probably lagging behind so you know 20 years now it might be a different right right at least while i was in the industry it was kind of lag you know and you know there were certain technologies that you know i'll give you an example not a lot of people know this but when the first b-52 bombers started coming out a lot of them were skinned in magnesium because they needed to have that, be able to fly those, you know, fully loaded bombers a very, very, very long way. And then the development of the jet engine came along, and all of a sudden, it didn't need to be light. (laughs) But now, (laughs) so, you know, and that's really what shot the the aluminum industry through the roof is, okay, this stuff's very, very light. We don't need it to be extremely light anymore, because we've got this jet engine, and aluminum is so much easier to work with. The mag is. We're going to switch this over to aluminum, and it, you know right. that's really kind of what hurt the mag industry, especially in the aerospace side of things. And it's still kind of recovering, but it's gotten lightweighting has gotten so important that they're, you know, your major, your Boeing's, your Airbuses, your Lockheed Martin's, everybody is is going back and taking a good hard look. Right.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. As I said, makes sense. But I'm totally agree with you. I I, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking about that. The huge gap, I uh, like 20, 25 years between the mag and the aluminum. I was thinking more about 10, 15, but it's, it still is a lot, right? But at the end, I think the market will lead, right? And yes. and it is what it is. Uh, now, talking about the aluminum, and talking about the different type of alloys we have there, is your technology uh, moving on the, on the technology side different from uh one alloy to another because at the end aluminum has a very similar you know behavior so it's pretty much the same
1: to to, to, to answer your question um it it, our technology with our level reading sensors and our actuator it, it, it doesn't matter the metal it doesn't matter the alloy Oh, really? The, our only real restriction is, okay. you know, these things have, you know, everything that we manufactured is 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 geared to be able to handle a uh, a cast house environment up to 800 degrees C. Um, okay. You start getting above those levels, we start to struggle because every, all our sensors are air-cooled, all our actuators are air-cooled, so you right. start getting into iron and other types of applications. We kind of struggle with these, but it, it doesn't, I mean, our laser sensors are going to be able to, function properly in any non ferrous uh, uh, environment at un- excuse me under 800 degrees C. So there's no real restriction on 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 aloes, unquote, is more, alloy, is, alloy is more is more on
0: conditions like and process conditions. Yeah. Temperature uh, mostly. Yes. So how your, technolo- your technology works, is the same technology for floor control? Because at the end, uh, level sensors are laser systems, right? But mm-hmm. flow control is something that to me is very fascinated because at the end, if you can control your flow, you can control your casting process. And if you control your casting process, you will control your dross generation. At the end, sure. you will be more efficient. And
1: that's what you want. So how the system works. So let's just, um, why don't we, it, because... I mean, ours are in. We're in DC billet casting applications. We're in DC slab casting operations. But I think the 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 topic that are the the application that would probably be best for this podcast would be going over the scrap aluminum ingot melting Ex- process, right? right? Yes. So r- melting scrap and making new aluminum ingots on your ingot. Line. So the process is, is, is it's really not all that complex, right? So you've got a furnace that you have melted scrap in, you've got a holding furnace, and of that holding furnace, you're going to have either a tilt furnace or a stationary right. furnace. And the, pro- uh, the first step in any ingot casting line is to control the molten metal flow out of that furnace right. so we would offer on a on a tilt furnace we offer something called a tilt angled feedback which you would mm-hmm. plug into your plc and right, then we so have cool. a and then what that does is that gives feedback to the plc on the angle of the tilt of the furnace mm-hmm. and then we'll have right at the output of that furnace into the launder system we would laser send right that uh monitors the level in that um in, in that launder uh, after the after the furnace, so in, in our digital camera laser sensors, it shoots a laser down. That laser dot rests on the surface of the metal, and then we have a digital camera. That takes multiple pictures per second of that dot resting on the surface. And then it uses triangulation, trigonometry, to calculate the distance. Mm -hmm. So every one of our sensors, we make a lot of different clearance distances and measurements. But every one of our sensors comes with a clearance distance. And that is the distance from the front of the sensor to where the laser and the camera just do not interact with it for example we've got a pro h sensor called the pro h cd 700r3 so what that means is you've got a clearance distance of 700 millimeters so from the face of the sensor 700 millimeters down you're not going to get a reading from anything because the laser and the camera just don't interact right and then after the 700 meters you'll have 300 millimeters of measurement so that's where hmm. the camera and the and the laser will start interacting with each other so you'll be able to measure with the pro h 700 <laughs> R three hundred, you'll be able to measure three hundred millimeters of molten metal in your lawn. So <clears throat> that's how that process works. So you put the laser sensor on the launder right at the um, the uh, <clears throat> furnace opening, and then that tilt furnace. That that laser reading, and they're very, very accurate. We're talking resolutions in the fractions of them. So any up and down right. are going to be able to detect. I mean, they're accurate up to 0.07 mil plus or minus. Oh wow, very accurate. Um, they're very, very accurate. So that laser is going to be reading that laser camera uh, sensor is going to be reading the trough measurement, and it's going to tell that um it's gonna tell that tilt furnace, we need more metal, start tilting, or we're good, go back down a little. And what that allows you to do is it keeps that flow in your launder at plus or minus one mil if you have a stationary, we have um an actuator called the txp10 mm-hmm. and um and so you would have a laser sensor on the launder system hooked up to a plc Then you would hook the actuator up to the PLC. And then I've got to say this because with our TXP-10, it's still a manual start-stop process. So on a stationary furnace, someone's got to go over and take the plug out and then put a metering rod in the TXP-10. But the actuator will take over the flow once you install that rod from that stationary furnace. So you'll have the laser sensor shooting down on the launder, measuring that, and then telling the actuator... And every one of our actuators has a stepper motor card in it. So each ticks one millimeter. So you'll be Mm. able to open or close. And control the flow out of that stationary furnace with that actuator, plus or minus again, plus or minus one. Once you get that, and to be honest with you, some ingot manufacturers will stop it um, because that usually we've got data um, where utilizing the presser meter equipment just on the stationary furnace, you've got a plus or minus of the fill range in the launder at three mil. Or, You know, no, a total variance of three millimeters. So it's plus or minus that we're doing it completely manual. Before that, they're longer uh, value was plus or minus 55. Oh, so <laughs> there's a huge, you know, to, to be able to lock down that flow coming out of this furnace, that is step one. Step two would be to, um, really control the flow feeding the star wheel, which is feeding the ingot. So there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've got like a drop down launder system, we've got some mm-hmm. pin actuators that would control the flow right. there with another laser sensor, or we have some, um, Kind of like an automatic dam actuator that would open or close the dam on the launder based off the laser reading. And the final piece would be to put a laser on the filled ingot itself, Mm -hmm. monitoring the height of each ingot um, in the mold. And then that telling that actuator, okay, we need more, we need more metal. Right. So what that does is it allows you to have a nice consistent flow from your furnace through your launder and feeding your, you're going to be feeding that star wheel the same amount of metal each time it turns around. And once you get that done, you will see that we have the ability to make a very consistent, a very um, sized and weight ingot. And so right. these companies that make these aluminum ingots, um, they usually go and spend a lot of money on a robot stacker at right. the end of the line. And they feed- and You need inconsist- that high to
0: be the same every yes. time. You need, they they feed to be these robots.
1: Yeah, they feed these robot stackers these inconsistent, you know, their stacks start falling over. Yep. And then they call us. <laughs> Where in actuality, they probably should have called us first before they bought the robot stacker. Because your robot stacker is not going to work unless you get a nice consistent size ingot there. Oh, now there great. are some companies out there that are very, very lucky that have very, very good production people that are very that have been there for 15 years and they know how to do that process. But if that, that guy was to leave. Or to go somewhere else, or you know, God forbid something happens, you're to him, done, and he passes away, I, you're you're in trouble, and you're not going to yep. be able to repeat that. No. And yep. the nice thing about the press-o-meter equipment is it doesn't matter who's running, it's going to make that right. nice distance uh, size for you, and you're going to be able to feed your robot stacker. And your robot stacker is going to be able to make nice, pick up nice, consistent size ingots, and they're going to be able to stack them up pretty, and everything's going to look great. And also, Uh, what we found in some of the things that you could do, like, I'm going to speak in inches here. I apologize, but uh, that's fine. We've got a customer in Kentucky that has, you know, their standard thickness on their ingots is about three and a half inch, but they've got one customer that really wants a two and a half. Inch. Mm. Okay. So you can make some adjustments in your PLC. Right. And then it, it, all you have to do is make a quick adjustment in your PLC. And all of a sudden, you're making, not only are you making consistent three and a half inch height ingots, you're going to make consistent two and a half inch height ingots as well. So it, it, it allows you to adjust your process document the process and but it, it you you mentioned dross earlier i mean anytime that you are in a situation like that where you've got you know a consistent uh a consistent level in your launder and casting process it's going to generate less less dross or right. dross, dross i don't want to say it's going to stop generating ross uh, that's just not true but you'll have less dross
0: to end. right and we with less dross comes less maintaining process more uh, useful life for the refractory material, uh, no landfill or less landfill cost, and all these different stuff. Stuff. How your pressimeter technology works with transfer pumps, for example, because tilting devices, I understand pretty well. And also when you have a tapping, a, t- a tapping furnace tap hole when, uh, with a with static furnace, uh, you just mentioned it, but when you have transfer pump, how easy it is to work each other? Because a transfer pump is a, it's a very easy device, but also has some complications, right? Sure. So you need to control the flow and, and everything. How easy it is to work with those type of
1: systems? Well, I mean, it, it's going to be uh, dependent upon the capability of your PLC and what that can actually feed back to the pump. I mean, theoretically, um, we would like to have the Pro8 sensor measuring the level sensor and then contr- allowing the PLC to control control the speed of the pump, right. uh, Based off the laser reading, Uh, we've seen some situations where they couldn't control the speed of the pump, but they could put some sort of a valve in front of it. And then what it was allowing the PLC to do is kind of control the valve feeding the pump to get a more consistent level. So there are other ways to do that. Um, You know, we don't get into the pump side of things. So I can't speak all that intelligently on them. And what their capabilities are, right? Um, But but we do know. All I can tell you is we've got clients that utilize a pump system and have our laser sensor uh, controlling the flow out of that system with that pump. Now and and there's a couple different ways to do it, but we do have customers.
0: Yeah, I think at the end it's a matter of process design, right? So you just adjust yourself and the equipment you have around it uh, in order to provide the best quality ingot in this case for your customer. Now. Getting to the end of this, this episode, what is the technology that we can expect that is coming from the newer era of uh, aluminum? Because everything wants to be very green and very efficient and very low carbon footprint and less dross generation. Do we have any new technology that is coming in the future, in the near future, in terms of
1: pressometer, or in yes. terms of the market itself, no, in so- terms of the market itself, I am pretty aware about what is coming. Okay, uh, I, in terms of, I mean, we can always make better products, right? And we are actually in the process right now of developing our new PPG three set. And you know, we hear things. These things see a lot of heat. Um, you know, we do a lot of repair work. You buy them from us and, you know, something happens and you'll send it in. We'll repair it and send it back to you. Um, but we're always trying to redesign something to make it more sustainable uh, in that environment for a longer period. You know, if I was going to sit there and say, you're going to buy a laser sensor from us and it's going to last a decade in that spot and you're not going to have to touch it, I'd be lying to you. Because that's just right. simply not true. You're gonna have to maintain these things. And our goal is to make them a lot easier. Now, do I have laser sensors that have been in the spot for a decade and nothing's happened to them? Yeah, there's a lot of them, but there's a lot of them that are in certain situations. Right. Where, you know, these are forced air cool. Sometimes the 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 heating uh uh or the cooling air shots off or the um and you know, each one of our sensors had a has a four to twenty milliamp temperature, output, Monitoring the internal temperature of that sensor, right. so your PLC can monitor the internal temperature of the sensor because we want that sensor to not exceed an internal temperature of 50 degrees C. And as a matter of fact, we'd really like to have it running in anywhere between 20 and 40 degrees. Right, lower. We've got a vortex cooler that you could buy for the sensor, and as long as you're feeding the proper amount of um, cooling air to that vortex cooler, we can keep the sensors in. 800, 900 degree C environment in that. But we're always trying to find the next, a, a, a better way to do that. So we are, RD wise, we are right now working on the next gen sensor and other things that we want to do. Right now, we've recently just, um over the past few years, allowed an Ethernet IP or a profinet connection compared if you're using an Allen Bradley or a Siemens PLC. That type of connectivity is now available. Um, hmm. Right now, if you want to troubleshoot a sensor in the process, we offer you a service adapter. You can hook the service adapter up to the sensor and then hook the service adapter up to a laptop and do some troubleshoot. What we'd like to do in the next generation is either make it Wi-Fi compatible or Bluetooth compatible so you don't need that step anymore. Or you'd be able to monitor it in real time via your Wi-Fi um, or a Bluetooth uh type situation. So those are what you can expect coming down right. from the line for Impressive meter in terms of sensors. In terms of actuators, we're always trying to make them more robust. And we're trying to put certain things in there. For instance, we've got new pin actuators uh, that have an electromagnet and that offer an, an emergency closing. So if something, let's say you're DC slab casting, um, you're casting aluminum slabs, you've got a pin actuator, and something was to happen, you lose power. That. Right. that actuator is going to kick on that electromagnet and that pin's going to go automatically to the closed position. And that's a, that is a, uh, you know, that's a safety feature that we've got a lot of clients that, that like, if you don't want it, we have the ability to take it out. I've got some clients that already have certain safety mechanisms and they're like, we don't need that. And so we'll sell to you without it. But, um, you know, we're always trying to make our actuators a little bit more, robust we want them you know we we feel as if we can make them uh they're not indestructible so we're trying right. to, as as best we can to make them as indestructible as possible um if you treat them the right way they're going to last a very 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 we've gotten repairs where you know you look at the actuator and, and i mean the thing got punctured with a fork truck <laughs> you know we've seen all sorts <laughs> yeah. of things on
0: repairs.
1: yeah you can you can see <laughs> everything out
0: there right <laughs>
1: But I mean, anytime you can make equipment that, you know, because our customers pay good money for our stuff and, you know, we, we service every one of them, but there are, I mean, anytime you can make it more robust, so there's less downtime on their end, um, they're going to be obviously very, very into that. So that's what we're working with on, on, on our, you know, I guess our R and T D teams always trying to make a better mousetrap, right. if you will. I right. mean, that's something. So I would expect our next generation to possibly hit the Mark 4 Oh, nice.
0: And what about AI? Uh, because it's something that is getting very, very strong right now into the industry. It's more for data collection and everything. But I don't know if this uh, type of, let's say, flow control systems has uh, an opening for the AI in some point.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, that's the first time I've really been asked that question. And um, I, I, I don't know. I do know that, that our sensors are capable of generating a lot of data and how you utilize that data um, and, and, when I say a lot of data, I don't think I've got a client out there in the field that really utilizes full 100% capability of right. laser sensor. And, you know, I mean, it does what it wants to do, but it could do so many other things. We generate a lot of data, um, and what the customer wants to do with that data is completely and totally up to them. But, uh, you know, it's, uh... You know, that could feed into some AI decision-making within you know, a cast house type of environment, but I, you know, we've never really, I've never really had that discussion or at least thought about it, or at least, um, uh, you know, obviously the, the birth of AI is upon us. Um, Corporations are using it around the world. It's just a matter of time before we're going to use uh, that type of technology in a cast house environment. And, you know, we've got to be in front of that. So uh, Monday morning, I'm going to call my, uh, (laughs) my guy The you have something it's to it's think about during the weekend way. right Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah because what 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 I think is people the, people don't understand that flow control systems at the end is a full process high quality control system because at the end what you will have is the right tool to understand how your process should behave every time mm-hmm. right I, this is the way I am seeing it. because you can have a 60-year-old guy there checking everything. But at the end, as much control as you have, as much much accurate you will be on your final product, but also you will be as more efficiency or as efficiency as you can. And at the end, this is all about sustainability, right? How yes. I can be more efficient? That's the main idea. So, uh, Bob, thank you so much for being here with us. I hope you enjoyed the the, the episode I, for me. I, it was I, amazing.
1: No, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you for having <clears throat> me. This is great. I love the idea of this of uh, the uh, of the podcast. It's great. I because I, I was looking. Uh, I started searching on more like aluminum type. Kind of, but as far as I know, you're the only one doing, and I think it's great. And, 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 and no,
0: uh, it, it's a lot of us that we are, you know, doing this. Uh, I started in 2020, uh, okay. right after the pandemic, uh, because everything was very, very crazy at that time. But yes, the idea is to give people out there, mostly to the young generation, to understand how easy is to find the people that has this knowledge and share the knowledge with them. Because at the end, what I want to do is help the industry to grow in the right direction that we yeah. are going right now in the right direction. So the idea is to, you know, bring people with a lot of knowledge and just share this knowledge, care about people, care about the industry, care about the country. And well, that's why we are
1: doing what we are doing. Yep. Yeah. No. I, and and it's, uh, you know, and it, it, it's important. And, and, and it's important to do that because what we're talking about, you know, in terms of what's going on in a cast house environment, those are going to be able to uh, allow, um, you know, cheap plate extrusures, you know, to, to expand in the market, whether that's aerospace, military, or I mean, any, uh, automotive, I mean, anything that's out there, because now we've got the ability to not even, uh, you know, Now we've got the ability to really kind of start on a metallurgical level, really start getting down to, you know, the atom, right? You know, and and, and that's where there's a lot of uh, excitement is, you know, what's that next alloy? You know, you, you go back to the aluminum lithium alloy and when that really kicked off in the nineties and what that's been able to do. And, you know, the question is what's, what's the next, what's, what's next? (laughs) Because you're going to be, someone's going to make a lighter alloy and it's going to have great properties and it's going to revolutionize what you can do and it's all starts here in the cast house so you know it's 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 uh it's an exciting time so we'll see what happens
0: yeah I, i'm totally agree so again thank you so much for being here with us i really appreciate it and well let's keep the hard work out there yeah all right sounds good thank you very much okay, bye.